Tēnā koutou katoa, e hara aho i te Māori, no Hamini o Kotipuna, no South Africa aho, i tupu ake aho i Tamaki Makoro, ko Aotearoa taku kainga e naine. Ko St. Augustine's taku karakia, ko te ihu karaiti toku hahi. Ko Halia taku fano, ko Anya taku ingwa, no reira tēnā koutou, Tēnā koutou. Tēnā koutou katoa. Hi everyone, my name is Anya, for those of you who don't know me. Uh, I'm married to the very handsome Theo. Uh, I'm a student of psychology and I've been part of this church for about three years now. I love this church and I feel really grateful to be here with you to share what I feel God has placed on my heart. Thank you, Newt, for entrusting this time to me. This passage we've been reading from John uh, chapter 20 verses, excuse me, chapter 17 verses 20 to 26 is actually a really critical time in Jesus' ministry as Jesus is about to die. And these are his last moments with his disciples where he's able to impart wisdom and to encourage them. Imagine for a moment knowing that you are about to die what would you say to those closest to you? I imagine that none of you will be asking anyone to hang out the laundry or make sure the dishes are done. Because when you're about to die, all of these things fade into the background. People often realize what is most important to them right before they die. It's a time of great clarity, a time where what is most essential comes to the surface and everything else falls away. And in these moments for Jesus, what is most essential is teaching his disciples how to follow him. In earlier chapters in John, Jesus is modeling servant leadership to his disciples by washing their feet. He is emboldening them to look forward to their eternal home where he is going to prepare a place for them. He's encouraging them not to let their hearts be troubled, but to trust in God. He's teaching them that he is the way the truth and the life, that he is the way to the Father. He speaks of the Holy Spirit that will come and lead them into all truth. He encourages them to love one another, to remain in his love, and to trust that the joy that is to come is far greater than the present suffering. And he speaks of his peace, which he is giving to them, which surpasses all understanding. And then in chapter 17, Jesus looks up to heaven and prays to the Father in the presence of his disciples. This is very special. In this moment, we're given an insight into what is most important to Jesus in his final moments of life. And in this prayer, Jesus speaks of the eternal life that comes through God in himself. He mentions again that he has revealed God to them. He is praying for their protection, and he speaks of sending them out into the world. And then in verse 20, Jesus prays for us. He is praying not only for the disciples that were with him, but for anyone who would ever believe in him through their message. So if you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, then you should know that you were one of the last things that Jesus thought about and prayed for. 
before he died. You are very special to Jesus. Jesus was praying in faith that you would experience three things. Intimacy, unity, and love. Intimacy with God, perfect unity, and that you would experience your own belovedness. Jesus wants you to know how loved you are, that you were loved before the earth was created. He wants you to know how connected you are to the Father and the Spirit, and he wants you to know how much you belong in Jesus. He is praying that you would experience such intimacy with the Father that through this intimacy with God, you will witness to the world that Jesus is Lord. Because without God, humanity quickly fragments. You don't have to look very far to see the lack of intimacy, unity, or love displayed in our world. It's evident in our fragmented world politics, in wars waged over resources. It's evident in the Black Lives Matter movement in the States and in the current socio-political devastation we're seeing in South Africa. And it's evident in the brokenness of domestic violence, gang violence, and racism experienced by many people in our own nation. Henri Nouwen, in his Return of the Prodigal Son, writes that real loneliness comes when we have lost all sense of having things in common. Or in other words, when we have lost our sense of unity. Fragmentation was the result of the original sin of Adam and Eve. In choosing to disobey God and to live on their own terms, they broke down their perfect unity with God, separating themselves from him, and the repercussions of those decisions can still be felt today. Our world is not as it should be. All of creation groans as it longs for renewal, and it will only be renewed through the restoration of humanity. And this is why we desperately need God's unity to unify us and to renew us in his love. So by choosing to enter into God's own intimacy, by abiding in him and in his love, we enter into that renewal energy, into his spirit of life that makes all things new. Our renewal is not just for ourselves either. Our renewal is to be the conduit by which God brings renewal to all things. If we are to reflect God back to the world, then we must first be immersed in him ourselves. For we can do nothing without God. I really love what Brother Lawrence had to say about this. Brother Lawrence was a 17th century saint who was well known for teaching others how to practice the presence of God in day-to-day -day moments like cooking or washing dishes. He said this, Pray, remember what I have recommended to you, which is to think often on God, by day, by night, in your business, and even in your diversions. He is always near you and with you. Leave him not alone. You would think it rude to leave a friend alone who came to visit you. Why then must God be neglected? Do not then forget him, but think on him often. Adore him continually. Live and die with him. This is the glorious employment of a Christian. In a word, this 
is our profession. If we do not know it, we must learn it. Okay, so disclaimer, I have not mastered this. And I think it's important to note that Brother Lawrence was famous for this because it's really difficult to do. I daily need to work on this, and I certainly have experienced extended periods of my own life where I have not been abiding in God. One of these times was right after graduating from my psychology degree. I was studying theology at the time, and I realized I had nothing left to give. I felt depressed and hopeless and very much alone, and if you'd asked me in the season whether or not I was walking with God and abiding in Him, I would have said, yeah, of course. But in all honesty, I was walking ahead of God, and relying on my own strength, which had given way. See, there's a way of walking with God, and yet relying on our own strength and capability that looks far more like a sheep that thinks it knows the way, but in reality is getting lost, rather than humbly following the shepherd who knows the way. I was doing a poetry project at the time, and as those of you who have ever attempted to write poetry will well know, that it's very easy to write very bad poetry, <laughs> which I did a lot of. And it was only when I in began to invite God back into my writing process and in truth, back into my day-to-day -day living, when I began to see fruit, when the poetry began to breathe and feel more alive. Up until that point, the words were lifeless and bitter, but when God entered in, the words took on a far more hopeful tone and could handle the difficult content with much more grace. This is an ekphrastic haiku poem that I wrote in that season. It was the first one where God was part of my process, and it marked the shift in my journey from doing life in my own strength to learning to rely on and abide in God's strength. And it was the first poem where the creative process flowed, it was written in response to Mascal Lassier's art exhibition of a broken piano with a wishbone at its center called Improbable Worlds. There's a copy of it underneath your seats, and as I read the words, I encourage you to reflect on the image. Stand at the center. Mediate the space between. We trust you to come. Symbolic tension, space in between. You hold it. Exhale in relief. Stand at the center. Mediate the space between. Accept the present. Centerpiece holding. Wishful bridge in between us. Brokenness healing. See, that shift from fragmentation to wholeness begins to happen the moment that God's children return to him, choose to abide in him, and to live out of that love and that unity that is present in his spirit. In Acts, it says, For in him we live and move and have our being. In him is life and breath and all things. Our world desperately needs God's shalom, God's peace, to restore all that is broken. And that restoration comes with unity. 
The Hebrew word for peace, shalom, is a synonym for unity, and it means to take two things that were broken and to put them back together again. How beautiful is that? Dear Sally shared a picture of a broken uh, crown lint plate that had broken some 30 years ago, uh, which her mother had kept um, in, in a box and had since been given to her. And rather than leaving the plate in its broken state or throwing away the broken pieces, Sally did a kintsugi course, which is a Japanese art form of restoring broken pottery. Isn't it stunning? It's arguably more beautiful in its restored state than it originally was. Much like the, God, the grace of God moving in our own lives, healing our own brokenness. Thank you, Sally, for allowing me to share your treasure. Restoration begins to happen when we abide in him and when we experience just how much we are loved in him. When all that is fragmented within us is put back together. And thankfully, mercifully, God is in the business of restoration. Henri Nolan writes in The Inner Voice of Love, To live a disciplined life is to live in such a way that you want only to be where God is with you. The more deeply you live your spiritual life, the easier it will be to discern the difference between living with God and living without God and the easier it will be to move away from the places where God is no longer with you. The great challenge here is faithfulness, which must be lived in the choices of every moment. When you're eating, drinking, working, playing, speaking or writing is no longer for the glory of God, you should stop it immediately. Because when you no longer live for the glory of God, you begin to live for your own glory then you separate yourself from God and you do yourself harm. Your main question should always be whether or not something is lived with or without God. You have your own inner knowledge to answer that question. So often we can find ourselves believing and behaving as if the most important thing is for us to be doing things for Jesus, for the kingdom of God. And for sure, no one wants to be all talk and no action. Jesus is not calling us to that either. But what we see in this prayer that Jesus prays for the disciples and for us is what takes priority. Our priority, the foundation, the source of life, is abiding in the love of the Father. Our witness to God's love for the world flows through us only as we ourselves are connected to that source of love. This is the way of Jesus. As I finish and Newt leads us in communion, allow me to pray this prayer. Father of the present, you became one with us that we may become one with you. May union become our first love, for we cannot imagine tiring of the goodness of your presence. We desire to be transformed, Father, through the pleasure of your nearness, that we may look and sound like the one we love in a world of weary longing. Amen.